and welcome back to The Latecomers. I'm Amity. I'm Lemuel. Sorry if my voice is a little scratchy this week. Uh, this week we are going to embark into episode six and have some fun with some ladies this week on Lisey's story. Before we get started, how was your week? I am recovering and I'm doing well. I, uh, I have described it here before. I've had a back injury for the last couple of weeks. And for some completely unexpected reason, it took a turn for the worse. Yes. So it's been a lot of physical pain, but I'm doing okay. I am glad. Um, how are you? I'm okay. We went outside yesterday. That was nice. That was nice. We laid in the sun. We yes. saw a horse. Two horses. And dogs panicking. At and many horses. dogs. Yes. And we went to the end of the Transcontinental Railroad. Which is interesting. It used to end here, not far away from where we are just now. Richmond, California. And there was a um, an enormous device for loading things onto trains, boxcars. Yes. And even though and off the trains, I right. think onto ships, right? Cargo yeah. ships and and even though it's no longer operable, it's still there. So it's kind of interesting to watch this and realize that um, how much traffic before there were bridges to take things across was done by ferry. Yep. Back and forth through the bay. So, yeah, it was very interesting. Ready to get into this week? I am ready. So, at the end of last week's episode, we were both sad. Well, also upset because it was just... Nothing was happening and it was so miserable. But this week was nice. Yes. Even though not a lot happened. Not a lot happened. But this it is was not, still better than last week. I feel like this is a program that draws out its premise a whole lot. Yes. And so they, a, this probably could have been a movie. Right. <laughs> this probably could have been done in two hours and 15 minutes. I'm just saying. Or it could have been done in half the length easily. Yeah. Um, I think that there's a lot of beautiful photography. I think there's a lot of... But they're not using it to forward the storytelling. Right. It's That's just the problem. sort of there. It reminds me of, like, I think I mentioned that earlier, Terrence Malick's films. I don't watch Like those. Tree of Life or something. Never where has seen You're it. just watching this beautiful cinematography. And it it sets a mood, certainly, but it really doesn't do anything in terms of the story. Sometimes visual elements do tell the story, but not here. Here you just we've at been loss. stagnant for a little while, but this week things moved. Things moved forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. We have a direction for the plot going forward, which I really like. Yes, indeed. So this episode is called "Now You Must Be Still." I'm not in. Entirely sure why. Um, it aired originally on July second, twenty twenty-one. Once again on Apple TV. Uh, same director, Pablo Lorraine. Same writer, Stephen King. Where it's uh, all of them. All of them are like that. And this is the. Is there an Uber penultimate? What's the word before penultimate? <laughs> Last. Second to last, this is the third to last. Maybe that's episode. the best way to put it. <laughs> and um, we start with Lisi going into Booyah Moon, which we knew was going to happen because that's what she spent all of last episode gearing up to do. She goes down into the into the amphitheater and she gets in the water. She mm-hmm. gets in there. She washes her face, drinks it up. Nom, 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 nom. I thought she was going to dunk her whole face, but she did not do that. She 
She kind of gave herself a Catholic baptism. <laughs> is, that what, is that what that is? They sprinkle. They a don't sprinkle. dunk. Um, and she sees Amanda, and she sees Scott, and she does not go up to Scott, but she does go up to Amanda, because Amanda is her bull hunt member, and she sits in front of her, and Amanda does say something to her, and then she turns around and she holds Amanda's hand, and Amanda confirms that she does want to go home. And then... She, and she says, think of Scott's study, mm-hmm. which doesn't work. <laughs> so then Amanda's like, or and then Alicia is like, I gotta go. Bye. I'll see you soon. Pink. And then she comes back to our world. I don't know how. We It's unclear. <laughs> but she's back I don't know here. how any of this works. No, we don't know how any of this works. And then um, it's the next morning. Mm-hmm. And Darla is showing up. And then I realized, oh, she said to Darla to come at 9 a.m., not 9 p.m., which okay. is good because 9 p.m. is when Jim Dooley is going to come and, and mush him. So 9 a.m. is a much more sensible time for her sister to get there. So her sister comes in. They go out to the study. Darla's looking around, and she's like, you know, you've gotten a lot done. That's really good because it does look like Lisi is actively packing up Scott's things. And I'm like, oh, maybe she called somebody to come get this stuff and get it out of here so she can stop putting it in danger. But she didn't do that. <laughs> That's not what has happened. And so as Darla is standing there, she's looking around and Lisi picks a weird time. The water goes on in the other room and then Lisi disappears. Poof. And then Darla turns back to where she was and screams, <gasps> And then Lisi appears behind her. Oh, with a plant. With a flower. And then Darla's like, I haven't had my coffee yet. <laughs> what is happening right now? And she's like, and Lisi's like, I knew you needed a demonstration. And I was like, that was the demonstration? It was a poorly timed demonstration. <laughs> you should have blinked out of her sight when she was actively looking at you. Right. But okay. <laughs> I think that Jennifer Jason Leigh... She did such a good she job. She did a great part in this. She really uses her time very wisely in this episode. And her reaction to Lisey's disappearing is priceless. Um, yeah. Yeah, she does a really great job of just sort of looking, of having a perfectly normal reaction to somebody doing something like that. Yeah, so she's, Adela's like, I don't like this. I don't want it. And mm. Lisey's like, I'm same, but too bad. Right. <laughs> so this is, this where we is are what now. we have. Darla has also brought over several weapons that she retrieved from Amanda's mm. house: uh, mace, pepper spray, mace, and a mace a taser, gun. I think. A mace gun, a gun right. that just shoots mace, which I don't fully understand. I think it's a better idea than just a I guess because the spray can get on you. It is irritating obviously. Yeah, I don't know. I've only I've only dealt with pepper spray. I've never dealt with mace. Mm. Um I had to pepper spray a dog once. I'm not proud of it, but uh the dog was definitely going to attack me. It was uh fourth of July. It was about midnight and people were firing off guns Mm -hmm. like all over the place. And the dogs were uh, upset, and I was walking home from work, and 
the dog was How did the terrified. dog react to being sprayed? Oh, it uh, yelped and ran away. <laughs> it yelped and ran away. And well, I felt very bad. But I was like, that dog was definitely going to fuck me up. It was a large German Shepherd. Mm-hmm. And uh, I that was all I could do. Mm. What I wanted to do was mace or pepper spray all the morons shooting guns into the air. But I didn't know where they were. So mm. <laughs> that is what had to happen. Because uh, that dog was just in distress. It wasn't mm. his fault. But uh, So, yeah, so Darla's pulling out mace, pepper spray, mace, taser. I think our sister likes mace. <laughs> She's got like a mace fetish. Right. Um, there's no mention of the gun at this point. I 100% believe that Darla still has that gun. Lisey seems yes. to believe that she did what she asked and threw it into the river. But... um. I don't think Darla threw that gun in the door. I'm just saying that for right now. Uh, And then they... She she basically... She looks at Darla and she says, you might also be an anchor and I can't afford both of you to be over there. And I was Mm -hmm. like... I can't afford to lose both my sisters. And Darla's like, what? (laughs) To what I also said, yeah, what? And then they pack up their things and they drive to go to see Amanda. And Amanda has uh, taken a turn. She was speaking, but now she's no longer speaking. And they have had to catheterize her because she's Mm. not really moving either. Uh, And the sisters go into Amanda's room. And Lisey kneels in front of her. And Amanda squeezes her hand again. And it seems like she's kind of coming out of it, but then like she goes right back in. And Lisey says, what did Scott do? And she says, he kissed me. At which Darla is like, what? Right. She's ready for a scandal. <laughs> she was just like, this is unacceptable. And why didn't I also know about right. it earlier than now? Yeah, um, how come he never kissed me? And Lisey is not freaked out in uh-huh. any way by it. She remembers. And we have a flashback to a scene we have seen. Right. Which is the first time that's Not once happened. before. Twice before. Right. We have seen the scene twice now. Wherein, after Amanda's last breakdown and she was coming out of it, Lisi mm-hmm. had brought her some hot cocoa and said, it's hot, I'm going to hold it for you. And she said, Scott gave me a drink too. It wasn't cocoa, it was water. The coolest water that I've ever had or whatever. Mm-hmm. Cool, beautiful water, whatever it was. At which point, Lisi grabs Amanda's face and kisses her. Mwah! But then, and Darla's like, what's going on? And then all the water that Lisey drank at the, well, I don't know if all of it did. Uh-huh. A lot of the water that Lisey drank at the pool. Um, Maybe birds back into Amanda, just like it did when Scott did it. Which is so strange. I mean, that's something that we've seen out consistently with Stephen King's characters. This kind of vomiting <laughs> bugs and wasps and good lord. God knows what. And we don't like it. I don't uh, like it. Not for a minute, Bobes. But then Amanda is back and she's okay. Mm-hmm. And then the the sisters are like, well, how do we how do we get out of here? Well, that leads to <laughs> we my gotta go. How do we get out episode. of here? And uh, they go and talk to, they mm-hmm. come down the stairs together and they go and talk to the doctor. And <laughs> Lisi and Amanda are sitting in front of the doctor and Amanda's like, I'm I'm feeling fine. I need to go. Da 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 da. Lisi's like, we'll definitely set up uh, a contingency for continued care, but right now we want to take her. And meanwhile, Darla is standing at the back of the office. Right. <laughs> and 
know if this was a plan or just how Darla what is. She, Darla is yeah. just looking up and she's going, is this you? You look great in this photo. Oh, is this Al Gore? I love Al Gore. <gasps> That's Bruce Springsteen. The boss. What was that like? And like she, I couldn't make up But like either. sort of deadpan, right. but just to like pull focus from this I, I wonder if that scene was even in, the, or this was improvised. It could have been. In, I don't I think could, it I was improvised. I could see that happening. It was really um, funny. It was very it was funny. It was really funny. Because in the middle of this sort of dire conversation that the doctor's having with Lisi about why... Ooh, and she's like, mm-hmm. he's like, you know, Jung wrote about this happening, but I've never seen it. And I think you should stay longer, right. of course, because now he wants to write a paper about her or whatever. Yes. Um, and Darla is just pulling focus constantly, just going like, nice quads. You met Bruce Springsteen. I love Al Gore. Like all this random shit. And finally, they they let they have to let her go. She right, was there she's voluntarily. There voluntarily, right? They have to let her go. Now, realistically, they don't have to let her go. I would like to say that the doctor is capable of fifty-one fiftying her if mm-hmm. she's at in a danger to herself or others. But, but she isn't. You could make that argument in this case. That doctor. Mm, if he wasn't such a fan of Scott Landon and mm-hmm. didn't have that hanging over his head, may have done because he wanted to keep her there. But they get out. She gets right. out. They get out. They go. They're outside, and Darla's like, "Is it just me or is that guy a douche?" <laughs> and both of the sisters are like, "That guy's a douche." Yeah. And I'm like, "I mean, I, yeah, psychiatrists are a rough bunch." <laughs> The level of medical care she was given there and supervision was terrible. Oh, yeah. It because was she funny. just got up and she walked out of the room. She into her right. arm. Help me, Lisi. That's a lot of cuts. Right. For you for you to allow somebody who is a cutter mm-hmm. to, to do on their body right. while under your care. Literally, that was your one job. <laughs> like, I don't understand. So, they're out. And then Amanda's like, cool, 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 I gotta go. And then she tries to walk in the opposite direction. They're like, no, 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 car's this way, car's this way. So she's still not she's disoriented. fully here. Yeah. And they're driving back, and uh, it's about to start raining. And Amanda just starts, like a child, just starts demanding, pull over, pull over, I want to watch the storm, and I want you to tell me everything that's going on, and I want you to watch, and I want to watch the storm. Mm. So they pull over, and they basically fill in what's been going on. And then they come to the realization that Dooley was in her house, Amanda's right. house. Um, and and Dorla's pissed at Amanda, which is weird. She's like, he was there when I was getting your things. He could have killed me. I'm sure he was just watching me like a creep. And I'm like, yup. Yeah. Uh, creep is the best adjective for this. There were crumbs everywhere. He was eating your food. And like, I don't know why and she's mad there's at a, There's a really neat moment where she seems to be really angry about the crumbs. She was mad about the crumbs. Because like, there's just something, I don't know. Is it worse if somebody breaks in your house and breaks that level of comfort Mm-hmm. And then leaves no trace so you don't know what's happened. Or someone does that and leaves crumbs because they don't fucking care if you know they were there. Well, here, I'll share a story oh, with, good. with our audience. Okay. Um, we work at a locksmith. Ah, yes, you do. And so we occasionally get very strange stories from people who are customers of ours. And I got a call one morning from a woman who runs a practice outside of her house. And she does a certain amount of uh, hours for government. Right. In other words, she does a special program where she gives 
reduced price um, care. Care, and there was one person whose issues were so much that she didn't want to in her house effectively because she lived upstairs and the, the yeah. office was downstairs. Underst- you you don't want this person to know where you live, right? So she just thought this and is a better the, idea to have somebody that can happen with regular right. psychiatric clients because there are attachment things that can mm-hmm. happen with a psychiatrist. Well, not if he knows where he is. He can where she is. He can knock on her door any time of day or night. Also that. So there was that issue that she was having, and she recommended him to somebody else because she started feeling unsafe with him. And she called because she said that she needed all the locks in her house changed. And so I explained to her how that worked. You don't have to change the locks. You rekey the locks so that right. somebody with the old key can get in. And she said that he, uh, she began feeling something was off about her home. Oh, no. That it was strange. Like the food tasted spoiled. There was issues with her um, her bed. Like she remembered making the bed and the bed was undone and things like that. Mm. And it came to a head when she discovered that somebody had urinated on her couch. Oh, Her practice couch. No. So she's like, okay, somebody's getting in here. So she mounted some cameras outside and discovered that that patient that she sent away discovered where she put her Heideke and got in the front door and was basically living in her house when she wasn't home. He studied her routine. So it was like the situation you're describing. It's a violation yeah. of your place, not in any way that's horrible, but the fact that he's sleeping in your bed and using your shower and going through your clothes and doing God knows what else. Mm-hmm. I had a friend who ran an Airbnb and was flirted with by the guy who was staying there, and she didn't mind because she didn't take it very seriously. But she took it seriously when she found out he stole a bunch of her underwear out of her drawer. So there's a, yeah, as people who've lived in a place that's been broken into a lot, there's a weird feeling out Yeah, afterward. it sucks. It sucks real bad. Because you know that they've been around, and you know that your stuff has been touched, and you sometimes weeks later will discover something of yours that's missing that you yeah. didn't notice right away. Yeah. Yeah, and then you're like, well, I know where that was, and now right. the, the, this person that I don't know has now seen... Whatever, X, Y, and Z of my whatever, yeah. right. Yeah. No, I completely <sighs> understand her point of view. Yeah. Yeah, so they, they basically get um, get Amanda caught up, and they... they uh, murder pact? Is that what's happened here? <laughs> Did they make a murder pact? I think they made it, a murder pact. Yes, it seems so, <laughs> because they're standing on a, a park bench in the rain. They start, it's pouring rain, and right. they get out, and they're just yelling, fuck, we're going to kill him, we're going to kill him, we're going to kill that guy. Right. Gonna fuck him, we're going to kill him. Which, I'm all for, to right. be fair. But, like, yeah, these sisters definitely, pirates as children, pirates as adults, they have made a murder pact with each other. Um, they get back to the house, and the officer, Dan, mm-hmm. Officer Dan is out front, and um, previously we have seen Lisey call, that was right, before they went to get Amanda, mm-hmm. she called Dashmeal, and she's basically like, uh, I'm going to sue you for harassment for $500,000. My attorneys wanted it to be $3 million, but I knew you could never get $3 million, but 500000 you could cash out your retirement, you could sell right. your house, like, yes. I could get $500,000. exactly what to say. Which is fucking great uh-huh. and he's like well i saw an attorney and actually i don't have any liability and she's like oh you have an attorney 
I have several attorneys and $60 million. And if I want to fuck you in the ass, it's going to bleed a lot. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Because we're using prison metaphors. Because here's the reality she of it. She that one in Shawshank. Here's the reality of it. Mm-hmm. Rich people can destroy not not as rich people. Right. Or and, poor people or anybody in between. And she is In the legal system well just by mm-hmm. filing and filing and filing and filing and filing and filing. Because you have to pay to respond to all of these right, things. Exactly. They will bring them back out. You have to pay an attorney to answer this erroneous discovery. This is how the legal system gets jammed up and how these huge like environmental cases go on for 15, 20 years. Yeah. That's why. And she could. If that is how much money she has, Dashmill doesn't stand a chance. Yeah. He'll spend $500,000 saving himself from having to pay $500,000. I mean, that's what will end up happening. Right. Right? Um, and, you know, and three days out of, ev- out of every week will be dealt will be dealing with this issue. Mm-hmm. Like, that is what your life will be if she decides uh, to do this. So she makes two demands. And the first demand is call Jim Dooley, or if he calls you, tell him, I've given up. Come at five, at 10, 10, 10 o'clock tonight. The second thing she tells him to do is to call the police and tell him that Jim Dooley has called you and told you that he's been scared off and he is leaving. Right. Uh, so those are, and she says, you know, this is a straight up lie, but uh, you lied about saving my husband all that, all that times, all those times. So uh, I figure you're good I with that. And I'm like, you're me too, because she's real pissed about it. Yeah. And we haven't seen it. There's a, there's some sort of newspaper clipping. Mm-hmm. I think that you saw at one point, right. but she is really hung up. She on does not this. like the fact that she went out and. Crippled the attacker, yeah. essentially, and took him out. And this other guy is getting all the credit for saving him. Yeah. And I don't even think she wants credit for saving him. She just doesn't want well, him. He's built who a, ran a reputation. Have, right. On, on, on this. it. Yeah. It's like, and I'm the guy who saved the great him. author. Yeah. And so this is yeah. adding to his story. But we haven't, we don't know that. We mm-hmm. only know that from her ire. Right. We well, haven't heard him he say it. He never responds to her. He doesn't this. respond. That's true. He never says, that's a lie. No, he but just But it's entirely quiet. possible that he doesn't respond to her because she keeps saying this to him and he's tried to mm-hmm. dissuade her for however many well, years and now he's just like, I'm not, I'm not going to, there's no headway for you. We'll have games. a flashback in season two, possibly three of the speed there of which the no program goes. There are no seasons twos or threes. Oh, there God. is two more episodes and uh, get an answer nah. quick. Uh, so... Uh, they they go out. She they they pull up to the house, and Officer Dan is out there. And Lisa goes and talks to him, and she, you know, he's like, you know, we're spread pretty thin, but it sounds like uh, he might have been scared off, so we mm. may not need to worry about it. And, but I'm happy to stay here if you want me to stay here. And she's like, no, 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 that's totally fine. Go ahead and go. And we should say that the last time he left. Oh no, it's this time. So yeah, so he's like, okay, I'll go. So he leaves, and he um, radios in that he's headed back, but he's going to swing by Amanda's house because mm. he says, actually, this has to be earlier. This must be earlier because um, it might be when she was headed out. Um, 
or the previous night or something like that. Because he says, you know, Amanda's like he was going to say in the nut house or something. Mm-hmm. It was something like indisposed. She's out of town as right. well or whatever. He like, he's clearly about to say something and then like. She's in the bug house say, with all the loonies. She, she is out of town. Right. So he says, I'm going to swing by her house to make sure everything's fine. We know, of course, Jim is there and is hiding at this point. None of the lights are on because we had seen Jim reading again mm-hmm. by by the. I was like, well, if the lights on, then he's going to get caught. But the lights weren't on, um, and he hadn't parked close enough to the house to be caught. Okay. But he does leave Amanda's house at that point, um, and but and now as Licia tells Dan, you can go. We're okay. Um, Jim is standing, like, out in the trees or something. Yeah. So, fucking fat lot of good Dan did. Sorry, Officer Dan, but you're not super good at job. I think the um, thing is they are... I mean, he's there like so that nobody goes in. Like a lot of police in. officers in Stephen King's world, these are small-time guys in a small-time yeah. community. Yeah. And some of them, as we've seen, some of his past characters have just been sheriffs. They've been part-time. They've worked as, you know, a daytime job and then get called in every time that... There's a sheriff that needs needing. Yeah. Uh, which isn't much in some of the communities that they, they uh, that he visits in terms of stories. Yeah. I should say, too, um, Lisi had left a voicemail on the outgoing machine that mm-hmm. says, don't hurt me anymore. Come back at 10 tonight. And you can have what you want. Right. So if he calls her, he'll get that information. If he calls Dashmill, he'll get that information. So, the so plan she's is, setting up a trap. They're setting a trap. Mm. She's got both of her sisters with her. Um, and they're yelling into the wind, I'm going to kill, we're going to kill him, we're going to kill him. Now, when they let Dan go, we see Dooley standing off in the trees watching them. And then the girls, the the, the three sisters are women, the, 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 they are sort of laughing at each other, joking with each other like, um. After the cop drives away, Darla calls Lisi on flirting with him, which mm-hmm. is pretty fucking fun. She goes, "Oh, I know what you like to, or whatever." And she's like, "What do you mean?" And he's like, "A man in uniform." And uh, Lisi's like, "Shut up!" But also, the officer, Officer Dan's hot. Uh, officer Dan is good looking. Um, and they're laughing together and. Jim is off in the fucking woods. Can't hear them. But what do you think was them. the meaning of that? Just that says, shot. "Don't laugh at me." What do you mean? Well, because I, I find it really interesting. What we're dealing with here is well, he's a, a kind narcissist, of a narcissist, and an incel, and so many other things. The way that we define them now, and it's interesting that his first impulse is, "You're laughing at me." And it really has nothing to do with him. Well, because... And I wonder if it was making a larger statement about that kind of man. I mean, and possibly. How he, he, every time he sees a woman, somebody... Oh, yeah. Well, 100%. He thinks it's involved with 100%. him 100%. And so I really like that. Like, oh, no, this isn't about you. This has nothing to do with you. They're not thinking about you at all. They're talking no, about No, right now else. they're not. When yeah. they were screaming, kill him, kill him, kill him into the wind, right. they were thinking about you. Now, not so much. Uh... So yeah, it's. I think I think that is what was going mm-hmm. on, and I think it just makes him more dangerous, right? So that is where it ends, right? 
That's it. They're all together and they're setting a trap of some sort for Jim to come at 10. Now it is before 10 and he's already there. So I don't know if he's going to give them the full right. amount of time. I don't know if he's going to watch what they do and adjust his... But they certainly have enough mace if he does show up. A situation for him. So my sense is their plan, or Lisey's plan, and I don't know um, how much it funnels into their his, her sister's mm-hmm. knowledge um, is to take him to Booyah Moon because right. they're going to have to spirit his body out of there. She's not going to deal with a dead body. Although I feel I don't like that. You know Stephen King doesn't really care. If you kill somebody for reasons, then you're fine and you're never going to go to prison. Or we'll just end the story before you go to prison. Your husband winds up like Donna Well. For instance. Any real reason to have to tell anybody about your husband at the bottom of the well. They've already set up this thing of Mm -hmm. he's he's leaving town. right? Right. So if he disappears, and if he disappears, who's going to miss him? See, I'm Nobody. a little disappointed that it might take place in Booyah Moon, the climax of the story, because that's what he wants. However, it's not going to be turned out. I don't think it's what he wants in, in as much as I don't think he understands what it is. Well, he could misunderstand and not think it's real. Which Yeah, and it's it's not a place that is explicitly in the books. Mm-hmm. Well, it's there under another name. That's what. Uh, yes, but it's saying. also not the same. Okay, not necessarily what he wants, but that would. Well, I guess I guess that's the easiest place to get rid of somebody. Dropping them off in another dimension yeah. would be perfect, as My opposed to sense, trying to bury them in your yard. Yes, exactly. I speak from experience, but what yes, no, it's a pain in the ass, and yeah. nobody wants to dig a hole. Lots um, of digging. Too old for that. Show. My guess, mm-hmm. I have a guess. Can I give you a guess? Yes, please give me it's a guess. It's not a spoiler because I don't All right, know. Because you don't it's know if it's true. Um, Lisey drags him over there mm-hmm. and the lawn boy takes him. That's out. what I'm guessing is going to happen. Because <laughs> I don't know why you'd introduce a big monster that's possibly made of people if it's not going Let's to. Check off monster? Ex- yeah, somehow figure into your climax. So that's what I think is going to happen. But it doesn't. But probably not uh, until the not next episode, but the right. episode after that. I feel like there's only two episodes. There's even a monster there. It seems to be so perfect in other respects. Um, although, I mean, it isn't. It's fascinating people, and also everybody that's there is broken. No, no. I mean, it's perfect. Booyah Moon is perfect in all respects, except for the fact there's this giant monster wandering. Around. Sucking people up like How is it trap. perfect in all respects? It fascinates people and everyone there is broken. How is that perfect? Well, it gives them an opportunity to not be broken. Now, there's something that I um, I wanted to ask you about because it seems, and we've talked about it, uh, we've touched on it in the past, but it seems very much like Stephen King will do these odd bits where he's like, well, that it's is clearly disabled in some way, but Ooh, that yeah. dis- this disability is actually a sign of his superpowers. Yep. And here we Sometimes have, when you're bipolar, you're also a superwoman. That's right. a thing that they do on So her cutting here seems to actually have a real, um, a real purpose and function in this sort of world that King is creating here. Who? Um, Who's cutting? His cutting and also... Um, Amanda's. Um, yes. I don't think so. You don't think it's another example no. of that disability is a superpower no. thing that he keeps doing? I don't. No. I don't. I think it is... 
Because not everybody in that place does that. Mm-hmm. Everybody in that place has unhealthy coping me- mechanisms. Probably. Right. Um, and I think that it's being looked Sometimes at as an unhealthy coping it mechanism. It makes me uncomfortable when the story goes in that direction. He's done it a few times. With where, the disability thing or yeah, the cutting thing? Okay. The disability thing. I didn't know no, I agree was with another you. example of... Well, well I a, would argue that as much as we love her, that he's doing that with Holly. Right. Asperger's is not a superpower either. I mean, she's also, she's a, she's got savant syndrome, but also she's got this... We've I mean, seen two different versions of Holly. We have seen two different versions, and if the version that was in The Outsider is to be believed, and I haven't read The Outsider of the mm-hmm. book yet, so I don't know if this comes from the book, but when she says, my parents took me to doctors, they didn't know what the fuck to make of right. me. Um, that is what's happening. It's a fire starter situation. See, I, I think that, like, Holly, as seen through Mr. Mercedes, mm-hmm. is a person with a disability who's overcoming it. Yes. Holly, as seen in The Outsider, is a metahuman uh-huh. who... Correct. I mean, She's an axe man. <laughs> there are people who have ridiculous abilities. Just 100%. strange. Of course. That thing it exists. It's not a fantasy. But it's being used like it's her superpower that helps her get one over on a supernatural creature. Maybe it needed to be ratcheted up, they felt, for this particular encounter, because this is not just a serial killer. This is something completely and wholly other that is, frankly, an enemy of the human race. It's something that you'd find in religious texts and things. Mm -hmm. So maybe they felt that they needed to ratchet it up in order to make, to give these human beings any kind of advantage over this thing. But, yeah, it felt more natural in Mr. Mercedes, as difficult as it to say, because it felt more like a person working through a disability that they have, rather than, oh, by the way, did you know that I have the ability to do this and yeah. to do that? And, right. No, agreed. Um, I don't think that the cutting is that, because, honestly, as a former cutter, um, it's not a disability. It's a coping mechanism. Um, I don't, it's a, you know... It's an anxiety. It's a manifestation of an anxiety disorder, um, which I also don't consider a disability per mm-hmm. se. Uh, neuro is atypicalness, maybe, but I don't. Disability is a tricky. That's a hard one. I shouldn't have used that where word. The, where the fine, where the line right, is. Because yeah. my, I worked with. Because I would argue that Asperger's is right. not. Or you know, autism isn't. I worked with special needs kids, disability, and there were, were con- and, and it's like it's fraught with language. Yeah, uh, high functioning and low functioning, that's functioning terrib- according that's, to what? Yeah, no, it's how, how much you can pretend you're not autistic. Right, is what that means. Yeah, no, it's it's hard because yes, I agree with all of the things that people say about autism mm-hmm. and the high functioning and the low functioning and this that and the other, but also autism presents. Much more catastrophically, mm-hmm. I would say, in some people, um, since we don't have a society that supports right. people who can't produce. <laughs> and this is where it it becomes really becomes difficult. Yeah, because it's like, all right, an autistic person like Albert Einstein, who clearly was in the Asperger spectrum, uh, or I, the Mozart, spectrum. yeah, or yes. there's a number of them. 
that we regarded as geniuses were mm -hmm. also people in the spectrum of behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, well, they're high functioning, but they would be low functioning in any other situation. High functioning just means I, I as a neurotypical, mm -hmm. I'm not neurotypical, but if I was neurotypical, right. I as a neurotypical person can have a, a, a conversation with you and not feel mm -hmm. like I'm being brought down or what like mm -hmm. i don't know what yeah it's a it's very it's, but think, what it really means uh -huh. is you can produce you can get a job and make money and take care of yourself that is all that really high functioning means which right. is deeply shitty <laughs> like, well it is because it's it's not everyone has the resources the opportunities to make something of what their skill level is no of course not and there are really great stories about people in the spectrum who went on to really successful careers because they married or they partnered with people uh, financially who were able to, I'll take care of this, I'll take care of the commerce, and you take care of that. That's the thing. Yeah, some people don't have mm -hmm. the executive functioning for paying bills on time, for instance. Yeah. It doesn't, but yeah, no, our society has determined that if you don't produce, mm -hmm. we don't take care of you, which is why we call things like Social Security entitlements in, in, in a derisive way mm -hmm. instead of just providing what, Every person is entitled mm. to because they're a human being. And if we're going to have a society, isn't that the point? Like, mm. isn't that the point? Y'all, I'm going to go on a real, real mm. tangent here if I'm not careful. So, um, but it's important to acknowledge that. It's important to acknowledge it because there is, there are problematic elements to some of Stephen King's characters. Of course there are, yes. And so, there are problematic elements to literally. Right. Every artist. Everyone's going to see things work. in a particular way, sometimes in really irrational ways. And I can see how... But also, he's a 70-plus-year-old man. Right. And that's what I mean. I, raised I in a largely white area. When you look at his work... Has been affluent for a significant portion of his life. Seeing stories, including people with disabilities, he's going to see that as being inclusive. Because yes. he came from a generation where they don't do that. Yes. And so, to uh, the fact that he's had such a long career. Yes. And such a successful one. Yes. We're now dealing with, oh, yes, but it doesn't work that way anymore. Yeah. You know, we can't see it that way, or we have new information that means that this because concept is. Putting somebody with a disability day. in your thing mm -hmm. just to show, hey, I did it. Right. That's not. That's tokenism. It's not great. It's not yeah. ideal. <laughs> because John Coffey is integral to the Green Mile. Uh-huh. He is a black man with... He's a magical Negro. Right. And he's... I don't like that word. It's the term. It's the term. I didn't do it. <laughs> it's, um, it's something... I mean, he's something more than that. But he... Uh, yes, looking at that... He's an angel. He's... Yes, he's something on another order he, of being. He might be an angel. The fact that, but for is, all intents right. and purposes, he's an X man. Right. He is a, a metahuman, as you said right. earlier. But he, you know, the whole as, oh, one of his fans pointed out to me: his initials are JC, and he heals the sick. Yeah, and then sacrifices his life. It's mm -hmm. like, oh, I, I think I know this story. Mm -hmm. But the idea is that it's not subtle. Right, it's, <laughs> it's not. It's like Harry Potter level of subtlety. Yeah, right. Like, but the idea that when you're looking at that, you're going, it, it becomes problematic later on that it's a black man who's possibly developmentally disabled or very childlike. You know, it, it, yeah. it doesn't play as well 20 years on to go, oh, that, 
that's very much a product of its time and I'm sure that he meant it to be well or meant it to be um inclusive or meant it to have a black character in the center of his story. Mm-hmm. Um but at the same time, you know, from the outside it is still problematic. Yeah. Agreed. Um I don't know. I so don't what know. did you what did you feel about this episode? I okay, first of all, mm. if you're gonna hire Yes. <laughs> Julianne Moore, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee and Joan Allen, you should let them be Julianne Moore, Jennifer Jason Lee and Joan Allen for a little while and that we got that in this episode. Um these uh women are top of their game, uh, very famous, very uh lauded for all for good reasons. Yes. <laughs> they were Between excellent the three together. Women, I was looking this up. I'm in, very impressed by Joan Allen because she is they have made her ugly in this show. Like I'm, that sounds harsh, but you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. they really have deglamorized her. The, right. They they're not shooting her in any kind of Flattering like, way. They're, they're shooting her in explicitly unflattering ways. Right. And, you know, she's just doing... I did not recognize her the first episode. I think I told you that. Um, I was like, oh, that's yeah. that's where she is. Because <laughs> she's always so put together <laughs> when I see her. Yeah, you were saying the three of them. So, Academy Awards, BAFTA Awards, Golden Globe Awards... Mm-hmm. The independent between the three of them, Independent Spirit Award, mm-hmm. New York Critics Film Festival, the Gotham Independent Film Award, um, the Grammy. Oh, excuse me. The yeah, New York Films Critics, uh, the Drama Desk, mm. the Outer Critics Circle Award. Uh, I think they've all they maybe have, won awards for both film and theater. Right. I think they all have theater experience. I'm sorry, it was well. a Tony. It was a Tony Award. Like I said. Right. I, I was said Grammy. I get the Grammy and Tony mixed oh, up. Oh, yeah. But I'm saying Tony between, is the, Broadway. between the three of them, these are three heavyweights. Yes. And we haven't had them. This was the first episode where I felt like I got to see them interact like I'm watching three of the best actors of their generation yeah. performing together. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get that feeling before. I was amazed at separate elements of their performances. And Jennifer Jason Leigh also, as amazing as she is, didn't get to shine as much. Yeah. And this episode, she really got to step forward and just play this very kind of... She was so funny in this right, episode. Very sort of appealing, because a lot of her performances are so serious. And over time, because I've watched her for a very long time now, um, a lot of her performances are so serious and so... I mean, she plays, she will go there. She will play mm-hmm. prostitutes and addicts and everything else and really physically hurt herself or punish herself doing these roles. So seeing her just play this kind of chirpy, kind of in your face, slightly obnoxious sister is very funny. I did not realize that she had married Noah Baumbach. Um, no, everyone can make a mistake. Wow. Well, there's a. I remember while we were watching this, and it might be amusing to the audience as well, um, I was taken back to a, a 1981 movie called Eyes of a Stranger, which was a slasher film. And it starred Lauren Tweez, who at the time was a big success in television, uh, as a cast member on The Love Boat, which is a weird jump. That now she's doing a slasher film. But this was 1981, and... Jennifer Jason Lee plays um, Lauren Twee's 
teenage blind sister. Uh-huh. And Cicel and Ebert had no kind words for this movie because they hated slasher films, just as a rule. Uh, but they kept, they stopped in their tracks before the end of the review and said, yeah, but whatever you do, remember Jennifer Jason Leigh because she's going to be something big someday. And they mm-hmm. were just like, and when I finally watched that movie, it was running on TCM late one night. It's like, oh no, she gives a hell of a performance. Like, wow, who is this person? And, and it's the same sort of reaction that you have sometimes when you see Reese Witherspoon in Man on the Moon or um, Kristen Stewart in uh, Panic Room, where you're like, who's this person holding their own with Jodie Foster? And she's 12. There's times when you get to see somebody who just, you have to see what they're doing again because they really are doing something amazing. Yeah. No, she's very, very good. Very, very good. She made a movie with Alan Cumming mm. in um, 2001. It's the first movie that I ever uh, didn't hate Gwyneth Paltrow in. Okay. I've come back around to hating Gwyneth Paltrow. Oh, all right. That's okay. But, okay. <laughs> but I did not like Gwyneth Paltrow before I saw this movie. And then I liked her because I was like, oh, she gets it. She's in on the joke. Uh-huh. She basically played herself right. in a very self-deprecating role. And that, that movie is called The Anniversary Party. I don't know if you have ever seen it. Mm. It's I enjoyed it. Some people don't. Apparently, I'm looking on IMDb. I'm not going to read the fucking comments. Mm. But when I saw it, I really liked it. Um, apparently, it's a little self-indulgent, but sh- sure. Fine. <laughs> I'm fine with that. Uh, very good cast, as I said. It's got it's Alan Cumming and Jennifer Jason Leigh. They, I believe, co-wrote it. Yeah. Oh, and direct co-directed it, which is... So fun. <laughs> and then it's got uh, Phoebe Cates, Kevin Klein, Parker Posey, John C. Riley, Jennifer Beals, Dennis O'Hare. I mean, it's got a bananas cast. And, as I said, one Gwyneth Paltrow. Uh, and I, that is sort of where my knowledge of her started, maybe? Maybe? Which sounds a little insane, but I was I was scared off of single white female. So <laughs> my sister went to see that movie when she was a kid. So that movie came out when? 1992. Mm-hmm. I was 12. My sister was 11. She went to go see it at the movie theater and told my parents that she had gone to see something different. <laughs> To which my parents said, "Okay, cool. Um, I wanted to, or I was, you know, I was thinking of seeing it. But tell us about the movie. How did X and Y Z happen?" And it was, I, it might have been Mom and Dad Save the World or something like that. Fundamentally, what happened was two characters in the movie she was supposed to see get sucked in, sucked into a television oh, no, or whatever. It was, uh, it's the one with John Ritter. Yes, right? it's the one with John Ritter, but I don't uh-huh. remember what it. And they were, she, my mom was just like, how do you get, how'd they get into the TV or whatever? And she's like, I can't remember. And they're like, you are busted. It is the pivotal thing in the movie. Like, um, it isn't Mom and Dad Save the World, but I can't. But yeah, she got busted. And then I was like, well, I'm not going to go see Single White Female. So I didn't see Single White Female until I was in my 30s. Like, too scary. So, uh... Is it Stay Tuned? Yes, Stay Tuned. That's it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I never never saw a single white female. And -hmm. and so, yeah, really, that was the first thing that I remember her in, was the anniversary story. I like Gwyneth Paltrow. That's fine. You can. She's weird. She's, um, 
very rich and has always been very rich and yes. does not understand I, what it is like I had a huge to her not be very rich. My dad was so I cannot actress. listen to her talk about fucking anything because you don't know, you don't know. Well, but rich don't. people have such insights into other Please people's don't. problems. Please don't. I can't. <laughs> Please. My heart will stop and I'll die right here. Okay. Um, I don't want that. So I really liked this episode, especially after last episode where mm. I was like, Oh, right. this is miserable. Uh, a little wild that the girls got it better than the boys in this particular set of circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, they are still fighting men because, of course, they are. Uh, so next week we're going to watch No Light, No Spark, which is fucking ominous. Uh, it's uh, episode number seven and our ultimate of Lisey's story. Uh, until then, do you have anything you want to recommend? I saw something or we finished something this week. Yeah. Y'all y'all and already can guess. I bet you guys can guess what it I is. Have I you been on the internet? It's <laughs> that. A warning. Okay. It is one of the most violent things I've ever seen. Oh, you think so? It is pretty bad. It has a very high body count. Yes, um, yes it does. <laughs> That is so. 100% if you're going to watch and it's numerical, <laughs> right? If you're going to watch Squid Games, um, go into it knowing that it is going to be one of the more violent things you'll ever it's see. It's violent. It's super there, violent. There is a promise in um, in the Hunger Games that the camera turns away for. It's like, yeah, there's going to be a lot of violence, and some of the camera but stays kids. on. <laughs> With their kids. And the film before that, the preceded Battle Royale, had some very intense and horrible violence. Imagine it at like, I don't know, three times that length, and that's kind of what you have here. More. Uh, and every episode feel... Uh, I have a friend who's uh, just recently got Netflix, and um, she's recommending, well, have you seen Peaky Blinders? I'm like, no, I haven't. I just finished Squid Games. Is it any good? And I said, yes, but I think I have PTSD now. <laughs> uh, it's it's going to be right up her alley, though. Right. Yes, it will be. And <laughs> it is a very intense... I'm not sure exactly how to describe it. There's a man who's ridiculously down on his luck, mostly because of a lot of bad choices that he makes. And His uh, his daughter is moving away. He's divorced, so his daughter's moving away with um, with an, you know his ex-wife and her new husband. And he can't financially have any sort of um, impact on keeping her in in Korea. They're in Korea. They're in South Korea. And fundamentally, yeah, we're talking about poor people, people in significant amounts Mm -hmm. of debt. And so he's... Through both choices that they made on their own and not. Right. But he's so desperate to get a financial payday that he submits to a really humiliating game at a train station involving getting himself slapped silly. And then he's invited to play for much higher stakes because what this recruiter sees is that he's willing to sort of suffer indignity if there's a promise of making money at the end of it. It's not even suffering indignity. He was willing to sign away his body Well, which he did money, earlier. Which is um, what he did. Yeah. In, yeah. But the games that he winds up participating on are children's games commonly played in Korea. They're not very complicated, so it's very easy for a person to catch on to. But 
the stakes are absurd. Yeah. And I won't go into detail about the kind of things that happen to you when you don't win at these games, but suffice it to say, that game of Tug of War is the most horrible thing I've probably ever uh, seen. That game of Tug of War was good, yeah. So, yeah, they're they're playing kids' games, and uh, if they lose, bad bad shit happens. <laughs> really bad shit. And then the we worst get, shit. We get close-ups of that bad shit. Like, mm-hmm. oh, in case it wasn't yeah, really... It's... We're going to underline what happened to this person And they, they, and they do it really in the first episode. Mm-hmm. You'll know at the end of the first episode if you want to keep watching. Right. They don't pull any punches in that first episode. You see what we're doing. Right. And then the second episode takes you in a different direction that is very interesting. I think the second episode mm. makes the show. I, I think that wh- as much as I'm warning people about the violence, it's hard to say whether or not I find it gratuitous. I, I don't. The point that he's trying to make yep. is not gore and horror for its own sake, but the kind of divide that we put between people mm-hmm. who are going to be able to succeed and people who aren't. Thematically, it it is of a piece with Parasite. Right, exactly. There are some Korean filmmakers and and Mm -hmm. TV makers who are really tackling the economic divide uh, head-on. Right. And, you know, maybe overly literally, Mm -hmm. but it is not an exaggeration to say that what these games really do is speed up what's already going to happen to all right. of these people. So, yeah. And you're going to get on, you're going to be on the side of a bunch of these people, and uh, there and can yes, be only one. You are going to cry. You will cry. You are going to cry. There are some really, that's one of the things that worked really well for me, that worked really well last week when we recommended Midnight Mass, is that the writers here have really taken care to have you experience things with these characters. And so characters that you really care about do things that even they're ashamed of in order to survive. Characters that it's like, oh, that person's decent. Turns out, oh, no. you know, And that's not giving anything away because there's so many switches that take place when you get smaller and smaller numbers and seeing what they're willing to do to survive. Um... And then you put yourself in their position and go, well, what would I do if this, what I think is an innocent deception, helps me go a little bit further? Oh, God, no, there's more consequences than that. Yeah. So um, there are characters that you get attached to that might not make it all the way through. There are characters that might. So I don't want to say anything more about it other than that it's an outstanding piece of work. It was, it's, it's also oh, oh, uh, t- a tip. You're you're if you're in the United States, your Netflix will probably uh, default to dubbing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I recommend listening to or watching it with in Korean with English subtitles. Okay, you're gonna get the 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 performances. You're gonna get right better. It's gonna come through a little bit clearer if you hear what they're actually saying. Even if you don't understand what they're saying, you're gonna hear their inflections and mm. that I think that that's important. Well, some of those scenes I couldn't imagine because we watched the first episode with English dubbing. Yeah. And I can't imagine uh, And I might go uh, back and watch it. The penultimate episode has a conversation that 
I can't imagine listening to dub actors give a flat inflection to that. Oh, yeah. I that conversation yeah. was so heartbreaking that yeah. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's an amazing piece of work. And I know that we recommended not too long ago um, The Mysterious Benedict Society. Yeah. And one of the reasons that made that really worthwhile is that every character ends their story arc. Everyone comes to a full, you know, Yeah, turn. they're just like, let me give you some closure. They're... And the art direction was beautiful. And this is also like that in that it creates a world. This weird kind of Escher kind of world where staircases lead to nowhere. Everything is in very bright colors. So it it's deceptively like a children's play yard until the games actually start getting played. And then you realize, oh, God, no, 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 yeah. no, 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 yeah. no, no. Anyhow, uh, do you have anything you'd like to um, recommend? I don't think so. We watched Squid Game. Mm. <laughs> That's basically what I've watched recently. Um, I'm learning how useful squids are, too, from that, by the way. I learned about cuttlefish bones. Yes, cuttlefish bones. Tell me more. Because um, I started watching yet another reality competition show. Mm. Uh, we finished up Full Bloom on HBO Max, which was florists. And now we're on to All That Glitters, which is jewelers. And so we learned about cuttlefish bones, which aren't bones. And that's what they use to cast silver, which is Crazy. wild. Yeah. Uh, it, it looks like... A, it's like a um, an organic foam that can withstand very, very high temperatures. Right. So, because if you had just done it out of styrofoam or whatever and then poured molten silver into it, would it, the, it would melt. Right. But these things don't. But cuttlefish don't have bones, y'all, because cuttlefish are invertebrates. <laughs> it, it, that program made me think more about cuttlefish. Cuttlefish are amazing. Ways. Um. Because, like, what on earth? I think you mentioned it. Or it's not there. on earth. It's in the water. But what adaptation? How does that? Yeah. Why do they? Why? why do they have this? And I didn't know what it was because when I first saw the mold, the cuttlefish bone mold, it looked like a big yam or a yucca that it had been. It did you know, look like yucca. Yeah, it does. And it's got it that kind of shape. Oh no, that's actually from a creature's body, and that's uh -huh. what it does. Uh huh. So weird. I have no idea. I'm flabbergasted. The uh, ocean's a terrifying place. <laughs> yes, it is. That's why I stay on land. The ocean is a I don't even swim. They even have a fish tank anymore. Used to have fish. Don't like them. Yeah, now we just have one turtle who is going to outlive us all. Yes, well. His name is Enoch, which I've forgotten, but is that is correct. We named him Enoch. We named him five years after we got him or something like More than that. Yeah. Shit, more than that. We've had him for a long time. Okay, We've had okay. him for like 10 years. Yeah. We and we named him, him like three years ago. We had him when we first, it was initially um, for In Emeryville, yeah. Uh, we wanted to have, oh, here's a pet that you can have. And then the turtle. Well, it wasn't even us. that. It was the people downstairs were moving and they right. weren't going to take him. So we're like, okay. Yeah. And we had two of them originally. And then one, weirdly, hog dollar food became huge. One became huge and the other one grew its nails real long, like Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Yeah, that's the strange. one we kept. Which it doesn't have those nails any longer. It doesn't because it's it doesn't have to fight the other one. Very weird food. how nature works. But I'm a fan. Yeah, turtles. <laughs> so that's this week. You know what's next week? Episode seven of eight. We're almost there. The end of Lisi's story. I have a feeling it's gonna be 
set up, fight, 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 into Booyah Moon, done. That's what I think is going to happen All right. next episode. <laughs> uh, In the spirit of Squid Games, I will take that bet. I hope that uh, three sisters make it through okay, because if Lisi put her sisters in danger for no goddamn reason, I'm going to be upset. Well, I, I'm wondering upset. if, and we've gotten this both with Dr. Sleep and with The Outsider, mm-hmm. we have the massacre scene, which is now becoming a staple in Stephen King's kind of fiction. There's a scene that was will go all out and half the characters die. So I'm very worried that that's going to be the model he'll follow for this one. Yeah, yeah. And it's all, you know, I have to say, I, um, Mike Flanagan, when he's, he's so good. doing Doctor Sleep, I never thought of him from the films that he'd done before as an action director. He can do action. But he's that again. scene in... In um, the ambush scene, the ambush scene in uh, Doctor Sleep was a first rate, and that was like something that came out of some of the best westerns in the sixties and seventies. You know, the staging of it. They're here, you're here, and there was one of the things I hate so much. I used to talk to our, unfortunately, our wonderful friend, the the late David Lubin, about his issues with going to the movies. Where like, well, they broke the hundred and eighty degree line. That rule really established if someone's shooting in one direction from the left, the other person has to be shooting from the right. And they don't do that much anymore. The editing is all over the place, so you can't tell what direction anything is going in or whatever. And what I respected about the the ambush scene in Dr. Sleep is it was staged, and so, and also the one in The Outsider, is that it was staged in such a way that I had a complete mastery of what the situation was. I knew exactly what was going on. Because it was more important to communicate the emotions and the, the feelings of, stuff rather than trying to go from spectacular effect to spectacular effects so yeah agree yeah great stuff but yeah i'm hoping that there's no massacre scene here i i, I don't yeah, want to see gonna, uh, these women have been through yes enough. they've been through enough and i'm just shining to jennifer uh jason lee's character so i don't want her to go Darla, Darla, we love you now yeah so well bad. because she just was so endearing <laughs> like what she did was so funny I love that, yeah, and she was sucking up to that doctor, and then as soon as they walk outside, she just looks at them and is like, is it just me? Is that dude a douche? <laughs> or a prick. A prick. You know. And then both of the sisters in unison were like, yeah, he's a prick. <laughs> just like, he was caring for one. Well, this is fine. <laughs> so, all right. Next week, more Lisey's story. Until then, if you have questions or comments or concerns, you can uh, email us at latecomerspod at gmail.com. You can tweet at us at LatecomersPod, or you can find us on Facebook by searching for Latecomers Podcast, Latecomers Podcast, in the search bar. I would like to remind you to take your medicine. Mm. We would like to remind you, better Better late than than never. never.